Are you a terrorist in hiding? Next on Principles and Policies. Welcome to today's edition of Principles and Policies. I'm your host, Barry Sheets, the Executive Director of the Institute for Principles and Policy. And along with me today is our co-host, the Vice Chairman of the Institute, my fellow analyst and very good friend, Chuck Michaels. Well, the answer to that question is who... It depends on who you ask. I, I've been I've been called that in the past, a, a uh, closet terrorist. Closet terrorist. Um, that's right. Because I actually uh, believe things ought to be done a certain way, and I'm willing to uh, go to the mat to demand that. So yeah, that makes me, I guess, in certain eyes, the fact that the other side is also willing to go to the mat to get what they want, uh, uh, notwithstanding. Yeah, well, you know, that's, again, it's a question of definitions, Chuck. Exactly. And I think that that's probably, that's going to be the underlying theme of of today's lesson uh, or today's program. And that is that words change meanings in a world where there are no absolutes. And we have to be paying cognizant attention to that. Because what you think you might be hearing in certain news reports, media, even conversations you may pick up among people you know, may not actually be what's being said. Because if you don't have an absolute set of underlying beliefs, values, morals, ethics, whatever you want to call it, you can't have a unified base of knowledge. And that means that if there are no rules, then there are no boundaries. And if there are no boundaries, then that means that whoever is in control of the narrative can decide what things mean. And it's a dangerous slope to be on. It's dangerous insofar as... Um, now, um, you and I talked about this at lunch. We, we talked about this exact thing without being the exact thing. So, in other words, when I told you that someone said, are you blah-de-blah? Mm-hmm. Are you one of these or one of those? I always say, tell me exactly what you mean by that. Mm-hmm. I, this argument I, I, I've always... Uh, been well attuned to because someone will, will come up to me and say, because I'm a creationist, well, you don't believe in evolution. Of course I believe in evolution. I don't think animals today are exactly as they were when God created them. Sure. Because they have become one, one of the entire, uh, one of the arguments is and there is a specific kind of animal. Okay. Lions and tigers and cougars and house cats and mm-hmm. serval cats and, uh, you know, uh, name one of the big cats or any animal. Is it exactly the same as it was at creation? And the answer is no, because those all came from a specific single ancestor. Well, and it's very interesting you say that, because, and I'm glad you picked that, that classification of animal, because probably the mo- one of the most well-known visuals of dinosaurs yes that you know that you have out there is the saber-toothed cat the saber-toothed tiger which yep. was basically a feline whose 
uh, incisors happen to be uh, look like little scimitars. Well, a couple feet long in some cases. Well, in some cases, and they, those those guys probably didn't didn't eat much and died fairly quickly because they got they were too long. But usually, somewhere around the eight to nine to, to foot long category for a pair of incisors coming out it, and and a hinged jaw that could drop down. Now, some cats still have hinged jaws they can drop out, you know, and and right. open their, and open their mouths a lot wider. And of course, their incisors are longer. But they're only like maybe in, in a half inch uh, half inch teeth in their mouth. The incisor maybe three quarters of an inch or something like that. That's right. Go to the uh, if you go to the Page Museum in uh, Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's uh, for those of you who don't know. That's La, the La Brea tar pits. Right. And if you go there, they have uh, saber tooth skulls yep. among among many other things. And, and you and, can see those in a lot of different places. But right. again. It, the point is, though, but when you're looking at that skull, you're looking at a cat skull. You're exactly. looking at a feline's skull. Yep. If you put a house cat's skull next to it, it would just look like a miniaturized version of what you're seeing. Maybe the te- and the teeth aren't nearly as long and probably wouldn't be proportionally the same It's size, recognizable as a cat. It's recognizable as a cat. Exactly. Yes. So, when and the reason we, we're going here is somebody will say, well, you're, you don't believe in evolution. Define what you mean by evolution. If you mean a one-celled bacteria becoming a saber-toothed tiger, I do not believe in that. Correct. Do I believe that modern cats, uh, mountain lions and such, had a common ancestor at some point with a saber-toothed tiger? Uh, did a lion have a common ancestor? Did a tiger have a common ancestor? Yes. And over time, that they the over spe- time. with specialization, et cetera. That's the key, the specialization, because instead of gaining information, this is not a talk about evolution, but instead of gaining information, which is what evolution teaches, mm-hmm. that animals gain information as they advance, No, these actually have become more specialized and have lost information in their genetic right. uh their genetic makeup. We don't have any house cats running around right. with seven inch long incisors. T- uh, and, lions and we, and lions cannot survive in a jungle just like uh, Siberian tigers can't survive on the veldt. Right. They're not built for that. Yep. That's right because they because of the environment they were in and the pressures on them there were changes over time That's right. in, in in order to survive they had to make there had to be adjustments made within their bloodlines, within their within their species, in order to accommodate the conditions they were in, the yeah. type of food sources exactly. they could get, those type of things. And those all have play an impact. I mean, Chuck, look at, okay, let's move out of the animal kingdom and let's move into the, the, the other animal kingdom, which is us. Yeah, the humans. That's um, right. Our environments are changing us. Yes. I mean, if you roll the clock back 60, 70 years, you didn't see as many instances of heart disease and, and obesity and, uh, you know, uh, diabetes and, and all those other well, things that were going on because we ate a different type of diet. We had a different type of lifestyle. It wasn't as sedentary. We weren't driving in cars as much. We weren't sitting in offices as much. And we weren't sitting in front of computers at all. We were more out, yeah. out you know, farming, plowing, ranching cattle horses etc more more physical work right and 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 more fit and you're right and the work was still physical even if you were like you ran a mercantile or a store or something sure you still had a lot of physical work to do 
we're changing that. Our technology, our access to goods and services have started changing our environments. And now we're starting to see a lot more instances of early onset heart diseases yeah. and, and uh, you know, people dying in their 50s instead of dying in their 90s. These things don't happen in vacuums. They they're happen because things change. Now, that's kind of getting, I'm well off of yeah, our mark off about the, what we're, we're, what track, we're talking yeah. about here. But I do like the conversation, so let's go ahead and carry it on for a little bit longer, and then we'll, so we'll I, go right I, into I, it. I would bring up one thing that's easy to tell in human beings uh, that, we're, that we're different and yet the same. That is our skin color. You and I are white. Uh, people out there in the audience may be may have anywhere from when we say we're white, we are a light shade of tan. Well, I, um, well, you're more you're much more light tan than I am. I'm more pink. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm more pinkish, yellowish, brownish, orange. I mean, you but, can catch all these little nuances in your skin, and you're right. We're skin color is an adaptation. But in we, other words, but we throw the word white in kind of as a catch all. As but, a catch all, but for you know, Caucasians. I'm, but I'm looking over in, throughout your office, and I'm seeing white paper and white cabinets. And we don't look anything. And we don't like look that. anything like that color. No. <laughs> but my point is that that's an adaptation to environment. Mm -hmm. um, white people are white because we need to take as much sun in as we can when we can get it because we're from northern climes. We live in we've we've come from um, more northern climes. Pe people right. from northern climes uh, uh, above the equator have fair skin. Have fair skin. Yeah, and and, and people below the equator have have a wonderful built-in protection in their darkness of their skin. Right. They, they can't. Re they, they still get vitamin D like we do. Uh, but they also have protections from the damage of the sun you know, because they get much more yeah. direct sunlight. Right. So yeah, there's they, a, their melanin produces a lot more than our, than yeah. ours does. Yeah. And, of course, that lends to your darker skin tones. You know, we go from swarthy to being uh, considered black. That's why if you go around the Mediterranean, it's a continuum. There's no such thing as race. There, yeah, it's a continuum isn't. of color. Yes. You get in Spain and northern Spain, and they're blonde. You get around to the other side in Africa, in North Africa, they're Berbers. They're dark. They're they're yeah. very dark brown. And you get further south, uh, that's that's. You look at American blacks versus African blacks. Yeah. America, uh, African blacks are dark. Right. Well, I mean, sometimes you go to your local college campus. Yeah. You can probably pick out the foreign exchange students from Nigeria and other places yes. in, in sub-Saharan Africa because they oftentimes right. you know, they're they're melanin production is much greater than others right. and their skin tone's a lot darker so yeah. but you know and the thing is you can also pick the guys you can also pick the people out who are from like say ireland and the scandinavian countries oh, because yeah. they're either pale or ruddy uh you know that kind of coloration and it, that's on that continuum too but they're, it's all but the point is they all share one common thing and that means that they're all human and they all have human dna that's why irish <laughs> and scots are noted for their red hair and and that kind of thing it's it's a more common uh, that's a, that is a genetic uh, uh, anomaly, and it's more common in northern climes. Right now, why did we bring all this up and take this big segue? Because what we're talking about is when you're in conversation with someone, especially someone who's trying to hoodwink you, right? They will use a loaded term like evolution, or race, or race, or any. Uh, you can begin to train yourself to pick them out. Because what do you mean exactly by that phrase? 
See, Chuck, what you're doing, and I want our audience to be very clear on this, what, what Chuck is doing right now is he's leading you through a practicum on something called presuppositionalism. That, partly, yes. Presuppositional right. apologetics. You don't make statements. You ask questions. You find out what the other person you're talking to believes and how and what their dictionary is. Um, my wife and I love having these conversations because we sometimes find out that we have same vocabularies but different dictionaries. It, it does happen, and it, and it leads to con- and it leads to confusion and conflict sometimes. But then when you back out and you say, "Well, wait a minute," when you say that, do you mean this? And they're like, "Well, no." When I say that, I mean this over here. Yes. Oh, I never thought that that meant that. And once you start getting your dictionaries lined up. It's so much easier to communicate. It's so much easier to understand other people. It's so much easier to be able to be empathetic and commiserate with people when they have difficulties. It's also easier to be able to have them feel welcomed, to feel accepted, to feel secure. All of these things because we take the time to be careful about making sure that we're both looking at the same dictionary. Uh, we're getting to the point in, in Christianity where if someone comes up and says, are you a Christian? You have to ask them what they mean by You have to ask them term. what you mean. But now, I will say, if you're asking me if I am a believer and sold out to Jesus Christ and believe in him as my Lord and Savior mm-hmm. and that I am his, I am his bondservant, yes. Absolutely. But you can go to someone who is a who for instance is in a mainline denomination who will say you will say are you a Christian they'll say yes they don't believe he's uh the son, the son of, God. of God they, they don't, don't believe, believe he, he rose was a vir- again. they don't believe in a virgin birth they don't believe he rose again they believe he is a great teacher. Right. And that he lived to set an example for us. And they might even believe a handful of the miracles, but not May, all of them. Uh, they'll, they'll believe that uh, people of the time yeah. saw them as miracles, but they're easily explainable by modern methods. Okay. And that's, that's where we are. Uh, you, you're speaking when you say, oh, he's a Christian. You'd better check. You, you, You'd better, uh, as, as my, uh, as my uh, wife's grandpa, you say, you better check his teeth. <laughs> um, that's an old horse trader saying. You look at right. you look at a horse's teeth, and you can tell how old they are. That's right. So you better look at his teeth, and you better say, "Do you mean that you are a servant of Jesus Christ and believe He is the Son of God and He is your Lord and Savior, or do you believe He's a, He's a marvelous teacher?" Right, or do you just not believe in him at all, and you think because you're you, you're doing good things, yes. that makes you a Christian? Because you've got that going too. That this is the kind of society we've we've uh, uh, now. That undercurrent has always been there. There have always been people. I mean, this goes back to the 19th century when it became acceptable to do that, and that mm-hmm. is the roots of of why uh, people will talk about uh, fundamentalism. Fundamentalism was a knee-jerk for the people who had uh, the quote-unquote Christians who were no longer Christians, but called themselves that. Mm -hmm. Fundamentalism said, basically, let's go back to the fundamentals of the Bible. And then some people took that and ran with it and and made it a a caricature of itself. uh, But we're in a time where people say they're a patriot. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? 
What that means is they're loyal to a government that is surrendering itself to foreign uh, and globalist interventionism and uh, want the country to meld, uh, become a borderless uh, uh, place where uh, the government controls everything and, and basically uh, you become a citizen of the world. That's not what I would call a patriot. I would call a patriot someone who believes that uh, the United States is a wonderful place, not a perfect place, and that we have we have up until recently had the best system in the world, um, flawed and yet the best, and that uh, we should do whatever we can to protect that and make sure that it becomes less and less flawed. Well... I'm going to tell you something right now. That system's breaking down. Oh, it's 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 breaking down, and the protection is is leaning toward the the ones who are trying to flaw it more rather than the ones who are trying to preserve it. Um, and this is what I wanted to talk about about being careful about your words and and hearing and making sure that you know what dictionary that someone's using when they're saying things and how to discern what it actually means. We're going to take a lovely example here, Chuck, and I've got two different like communications that I need to read out to folks. So this may take a little bit of time, so I apologize if I bore you to tears, but you need to hear this because it does concern, if you're a parent, a grandparent, aunt, uncle, whatever, if you have or have had children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren who are in schools, you're going to want to sit and listen to this. Yes. Because it concerns you, and it's a very concerning matter. Chuck, I'm reading right now a letter that was delivered on September the 29th, which was just last week, to the resident in office. <laughs> the resident at Joe six, Biden, 1600 Pennsylvania, at 1600 Avenue. Pennsylvania Avenue. And I, I'm not going to necessarily say what the memo was because I'm just going to read the body of the letter. You'll get the gist, okay? Dear Mr. They say President. You know me. I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say resident. Here's the letter. America's public schools and its educational leaders are under an immediate threat. That's the first place you need to stop and think about what the terms mean. We're going to just keep reading the letter, but just hold that in mind. The National School Boards Association, NSBA, respectfully asks for federal law enforcement and other assistance to deal with the growing number of threats of violence and acts of intimidation occurring across the nation. Okay, remember those terms. Threats of violence, acts of intimidation. Remember those terms. You'll be surprised that they don't mean what you think they mean. Local school board members want to hear from their communities on important issues, and that must be at the forefront of good school board governance and promotion of free speech. Remember that phrase, too. Right. Because it doesn't mean what you think it means. It doesn't mean what you think it means. However, they also, there also must be safeguards in place to protect public schools and dedicated education leaders as they do their jobs. NSBA believes immediate assistance is required to protect our students, school board members, and educators. You notice how they threw the students out there first? Right. Although none of what they're going to be dealing with actually deals directly with a student. Okay? Think about this. Yep. School board members and educators who are susceptible to acts of violence affecting interstate commerce. Bing, 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 bing. Now, you got, guys, There was there's a reason why that phrase was used in this letter, and we'll get to that in just a minute. Because of threats to their districts, families, and personal safety. 
I want you to remember that phrase too, personal safety. Okay? As our school boards continue coronavirus recovery operations within their respective districts, think of, keep that in mind, they are also preserving against other challenges that could impede this progress in a number of communities. That's code language for something we'll talk, I'll, I'll mention to you in a minute. Going back to the letter. Coupled with attacks against school board members and educators for approving policies for masks to protect the health and safety of students and school employees. See, they, they, they spell it out. Many public school officials are also facing physical threats because of propaganda purporting the false inclusion of critical race theory within classroom instruction and curricula. Um, false inclusion? That would mean that it, that there wouldn't be any in any of the curricula. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure there are multiple examples throughout the country and, and here in Ohio of curricula and materials that are pushing critical race theory. And we'll get to explaining a little bit yeah. more about critical race theory here in a minute. But in 1984, that was called doublespeak. That's doublespeak. That's right. Okay, this propaganda continues despite the fact that critical race theory is not taught in public schools. What? That's when the laugh line is supposed to come in. That's They've just told a joke, but they think they're being serious. Okay, let's keep going. And remains a complex law school and graduate school subject well beyond the scope of a K-12 through class. Is that the reason why the um, American Federation of Teachers and the National Education Association have materials out there already about how to inculcate Critical race, critical race theory, theory. Into, yeah. into all the curricula. Right. Okay, let's let's not kid ourselves, folks. Okay. It's 1619 project stuff all over. Yeah. So here the, the letter goes on. On behalf of our state associations and the more than 90,000 school board members who govern our country's 14,000 local public school districts educating more than 50 million school children. Okay, stop right there. I won't argue with the 50 million school children. I won't argue that there might be 14,000 local public school districts, right? I won't argue that there might be 90,000 school board members, but I am going to make an argument with one thing they said in here, that they're the ones governing these kids and these schools. Wrong. They're the ones who are handling the administration and operation of the physical plants of the schools, but the parents still control what a child should be taught. So let's, let's lay that out. Because they're basically saying, oh, when you put us on the school board, we get to control what your child gets to do. And that isn't true. And then they go on. And it said, um, the NSBA appreciates your leadership to end the proliferation of COVID-19 in our communities and our school districts. We also appreciate recent discussions with the White House and U.S. Department of Education staff on many critical issues facing public schools, including threats school officials are receiving. So in other words, they've already been having these conversations uh, up the chain in order to lay the groundwork for this letter. Yeah. In addition, we applaud your actions to restore resources to school districts that have not yet received their educational stabilization funding through the Project SAFE, Supporting America's Families and Educators grant program. Oh, you're throwing money at us so that, so that we'll, be, we'll be happy with you. For coronavirus recovery efforts, including the use of face masks and other precautions to help prevent COVID-19 infections among students and educators. Now we ask the federal government investigate intercept and prevent the current threats and acts of violence against our public school officials through existing statutes, executive authority, interagency and intergovernmental task forces and other extraordinary measures 
to ensure the safety of our children and educators, to protect interstate commerce, and to preserve public school infrastructure and campuses. Okay. There are all kinds of red flags that should be going up for everybody. Alarm bells screaming out at this point. They're basically saying, do whatever you need to do in order to, as they say, um, investigate, intercept, and prevent the threats. Okay. Let me unveil this, folks. You're the threat they're talking about. That's right. A concerned parent who goes to the school board to raise questions and concerns about what little Johnny and Janie are being taught in the classroom, whether they're being taught that, oh, they can, they can be gender fluid, whether, they can, whether they're taught that, oh, you, you're not a good member of the community if you don't wear a mask even though you've got a medical contraindication or you have a religious belief that says that you shouldn't be wearing them. Oh, and you've not been vaccinated? Oh, well, you're well outside the pale at that point. That's what they're talking about. And, and there have been numerous instances, if you've been paying any attention over the last couple of months since school started back in, of school boards that have had parents coming to them concerned about a number of things, including pornographic materials being taught in, in young kids' classrooms, um, the whole, I, this whole critical race theory stuff that's been going on. That, that's kind of taken like the, the marquee place right now. Right. CRT seems to be the sexy thing for, at least for the conservatives to talk about. They're not talking so much about all the offensive material that's being pumped into the classrooms through sex ed and other places, but they'll talk about CRT and that's fine. At least they're getting started on the idea that not all's hunky dory in, in education land. But here's the school boards association, which basically is a well funded by your tax dollars. Uh, basically organization a group of that that the your local school boards pay to be part of and of course where do the school boards get their funding they get their funding through the local tax base through your property tax through through you basically through you yeah through you so they're using your money to get their national association which is just basically a federal lobby to go to the leftist president resident and ask him to use federal law enforcement and executive power to keep you from being able to address a school board meeting. Folks, when you, those of you who didn't vote for Donald Trump because he made mean tweets and he, and he quote-unquote didn't look presidential, how do you feel now? Because this would not have gone on under a Trump presidency. There right. would have been tremendous pressure for him to do so. Would he have done it? No, in case you didn't notice, when Trump got pushed, he pushed back. Yeah, he did. He did. And very often he pushed back harder than he got pushed in the first place. That's true. Let me go on here because there's another really interesting little nugget in this letter. Now, this letter's six six pages long. I'm not right. going to read the whole it's thing. It's gigantic. Yeah. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I do want to read there's this, and then there's a couple of examples that they give that I want to make sure we talk about. And in this, he says, or they say, while local and state law enforcement agencies are working with public school officials in several communities to prevent further disruptions to the educational services and school district operations, law enforcement officials in some jurisdictions need assistance, including help with monitoring the threat levels. Now, I'm going to let that hang in the air right there for a minute. This is starting to sound vaguely familiar. If you know your history, this is starting to sound vaguely familiar. As these threats and acts of violence have become more prevalent during public school board meetings via documented threats transmitted through the U.S. Postal Service, through social media and other online platforms, 
Don't think that this whole thing with this fake whistleblower deal with Facebook that's going on in Congress right now isn't ginned up toward this. Because, again, this whistleblower is is not a freedom fighter. No. It's someone who was mad at Facebook because they weren't cracking down hard enough on what they consider to be offensive or hate speech, which would include a parent getting on Facebook and saying, I'm upset with the school board because they're allowing little Johnny and Janie to learn about homosexual sex acts in the classroom. Think about this, folks. They want federal law enforcement to work with local law enforcement to monitor these threat levels. In other words, they're going to review all your social media. If you get flagged as a parent who steps outside the system and starts saying something or shows up at school board meetings or, God forbid, wants to speak for the three minutes that they barely give you, you are going to be targeted. So NSBA respectfully asks that a joint collaboration among federal law enforcement agencies, state and local law enforcement, and with public school officials be undertaken to focus on these threats. So basically the school board members who are getting, you know, pressure from the parents to do something and vote the right way can go to the local law enforcement. I feel threatened. I'm, I'm, being, I'm being triggered. I'm scared about these people. And so they'll start investigating you. And, and next thing you know, you'll be considered a domestic terrorist. Well, you could very likely get a visit from the uh, uh, FBI. From the FBI. From the in FBI. Your home. Did you speak at, at a school board meeting on blotty blood date? That's how they get you to worry about not speaking at a school board meeting at any time. Okay. Now, I want you to, okay, now listen to this next sentence, because there is a massive red flag in this one. NSBA specifically solicits the expertise and resources of the U.S. Department of Justice, Federal Bureau of Investigation, U.S. Department of Homeland Security, U.S. Secret Service, and its National Threat Assessment Center regarding the level of risk to public school children, educators, board members, and facilities and campuses. We also request the assistance of the U.S. Postal Inspection Service to intervene against threatening letters and cyberbullying attacks that have been transmitted to students, school board members, district members, and other educators. Okay, Chuck, let me just unpack where I'm, I'm coming from on this. Yeah. The reason why the NSBA is putting school children and students first? Chuck, you're a threat to your own children, so we're going to have to take your children away from you. Yes, exactly. It's a... Uh uh, since the state claims to own them in the first place, right? Uh, they're simply saying you can no longer be guardian of your child because you are a threat. You do, you you refuse to see things the way that the school board wants you to see them, and therefore you're dangerous. Right now, it goes on again with all of these various divisions and things. But here here's another kick. And initially, and, and additionally, excuse me. Additionally, NSBA requests that such review examine appropriate enforceable actions against these crimes and acts of and acts of violence. First of all, nobody's committed a crime. Speaking up at your school board meeting is not a criminal act. Challenging a decision that your school board members vote on due to about curriculum or instruction is not a criminal act. It's being a concerned and engaged parent. But they're calling them crimes and acts of violence if you raise up and buck the buck the 
intelligentsia here. And so basically they want to take examine appropriate enforceable actions under the Gun-Free School Zones Act, the Patriot Act in regard to domestic terrorism, the Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Jr. Hate Crimes Prevention Act. Oh, my God. I told you the LBGT agenda was in this. The Violent Interference with Federally Protected Rights Statute. Gee, like the right to free speech that they're trying to attack right now? Huh. I wonder if we could turn the hook on that and have the NSBA and the school boards investigated for that. The Conspiracy Against Rights Statute. Did you know that all these statutes existed? <laughs> And see, We're learning is, some new things. This is the problem, Barry. Every time somebody gets a bloody nose that we make a federal law about it, yep. the Constitution notwithstanding. Right. So basically you had the Conspiracy Against Rights statute, and I they don't even have it. So they, they know it really well, but they don't have it any. There, is, there are footnotes in this, but it's not even footnoted in this. An executive order to enforce all applicable federal laws for the protection of students and public school district personnel and any related measures. As the threats grow and news of extremist hate organizations, you know, like parents groups that are concerned about this thing. Showing up at school board meetings is being reported this is a critical time for a proactive approach to deal with this difficult issue. In other words, we don't ever want to be criticized, and if anybody individually or in a group criticizes any action we take toward their children, you need to investigate them and treat them as criminals and domestic terrorists and lock them away for life and take their kids away from them. That's what the NSBA is really saying here. That's exactly right. Folks, it's time to go and take back over your schools. And I mean take them back. And by that, I mean vote out anybody who pays any dues to the NSBA. That's a, a, right. Any school board official that won't renounce them, get rid of them. Kick them out at the at the ballot box. Put people in there who have the kids in the schools and who understand how dangerous it is for these type of philosophies to continue to grow and fester in the schools. Yeah, think when they come to your door. There, there's so many school board races. When they come to your door, ask them, are you a member of the NSBA? Do you yep. support what the NSBA is doing in attempting to silence people like me at your school board meetings? And you'll get, well, that's not really what's happening. We're just trying to stop domestic terrorism. That word, again, tell me exactly what you mean by domestic terrorism. Tell me what you mean, and I'll tell you what I mean. Mm-hmm. That's how you need to handle that. You'll have them sweating, and they'll and they will. If you can get two or three of your neighbors to do the same thing, you'll have them in a in a blue panic. Well, okay, and Chuck, I'm glad you said that because they start giving examples, and I'm and I'm as I'm looking at this, these quote unquote threats or actual act of violence against our districts, um, I start laughing because they, they here here's here are the top things that they give you. An individual was arrested in Illinois for aggravated battery and disorderly conduct during a school board meeting. Okay, do you know what that could be? Refusing to, ste to step down from the mic after three minutes because they've tried to cut you off. Or, as happened in a couple of places, uh, they said, we're not hearing from you tonight. Right. Or, and, and because you won't leave, then they bring up the security officer to grab you, to throw you out of the room, and you push, you 
pull away you from pull him. away from him that's considered disorderly conduct and it's also considered to be aggravated battery if you happen to bump them while you're doing it the other examples they use chuck is that during two separate school board meetings in michigan an individual yelled a nazi salute in protest to masking requirements well when they're acting like gestapo you call them out as gestapo yeah i mean I, let's let's not kid ourselves and another individual prompted the board to call a recess because of opposition to critical race theory so if the board is a bunch of snowflakes and can't handle being critiqued because they're oh wait a minute because of critical race theory i thought they said that that wasn't in the schools that's right oops i think they kind of over overshot themselves here and then they say in New Jersey, Ohio, and other states, anti-mask proponents are inciting chaos during board meetings. Really? I just talked to a, an Ohio state senator who was talking about a couple of folks who were running for their local school board who were barred from entering the school board meeting because they wouldn't wear masks and who can't then participate in the board meetings as a citizen because the board decided not to live stream their meetings anymore. So who's a free speech proponent? That's right. Who is actually doing things that are violating people's rights? Who can't handle the heat? that they're bringing on themselves. That's the National School Board Association. Folks, one thing I will I will interject. If you have not read 1984, please please please. It's it's not a long book, but it's a very important book because what we're hearing about here is exactly the kind of tactics that Big Brother used in 1984. Mhm. You call one thing something else. You basically make it impossible for certain people to do certain things. And then you prosecute them because they didn't do that certain thing. You know, they, they're disappeared and taken and, and re-educated. Quote, unquote, yeah. re-educated. Right. Uh, put in a camp, which is what's happening, for instance, in places like Australia. If you won't, if you won't comply with, uh, you know, mask mandates and vaccine mandates, they put you in a camp. Yeah, and these are the same mandates that these local boards are saying, you can't tell us what to do. We have all the control and the authority. Again, this is reiterated to me by someone who has been dealing with board issues in their local school district, where the board has basically taken the, we're, we're the law here, you can't touch us right. mentality. Now, the school board association goes on, Chuck, and this one actually probably should be up in the pantheon of ironic statements. Yes. <laughs> So they get through describing all these horrible threats and acts of violence, which honestly really get down to somebody yelled at somebody and they got their feelings hurt. These threats, I'm going back to the letter, these threats and acts of violence are affecting our nation's democracy at the very foundational levels, causing school board members, to, to many who are not paid, they say. Well, that means there are many who are paid. That's right to resign immediately and or discontinue their service after their respective terms. Yeah, that's called getting them out of office so you can put somebody in who actually will be responsive to the parents and not responsive to the, the power brokers yes. up the chain at the Department of Education or the NEA, the OEA, and the local teachers' unions. Okay? That's, that's called balance. They don't want balance. Balance is bad for the NSBA. Further, this increasing violence is a clear and present danger. Ding, 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 ding. Remember that phrase. 
because they're going to use it a lot, to civic participation. And let's see, barring people from actually in, in being in a school board meeting, keep it, barring them from actually speaking in, in the open mic time for the community to speak, barring them from sending you a letter issuing their concerns, barring them from having concerns in the first place, those aren't threats to free speech. Those aren't threats to our fabric of our democracy, which we're not a democracy, which tells you the school boards, they don't even know what, what form of government they're here, here, What exactly do you mean by free speech? Define it for me, and then you get to use there, the term. There you go. That's right. Uh, so basically, you know, the, you've got this whole situation. Oh, well, gosh, we got to have all this. The school boards need to be protected. And, of course, this was signed by the president and CEO of the National School Boards Administration, one Viola Garcia, a doctor in education. Oh, of course. And Chip Slavin, the interim executive director and CEO of the National School Boards Association. Okay, folks, it would be bad enough if this was just the only thing that was happening, but there's another little thing that's happening, and I'm going to read to you. This is a shorter piece. But you need to know this, and we will post these documents up on principalpolicy.com on our website for this week's uh, program. You need to read these documents and know what's being said. So here's a memo that was issued yesterday. We are recording this on Tuesday the 5th. Right. This was issued on Monday, October the 4th. It was a memorandum for the director of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the director of the Executive Office for U.S. Attorneys, the Assistant Attorney General of the Criminal Division, and all United States Attorneys from Merrick Garland, the United States Attorney General, appointed by Biden after he was turned down, or the, the Republicans blocked his uh, you beat re me to review it. Yeah. of being becoming a United States Supreme Court Justice. Yeah, if you recall, in, in Barack Obama's uh, last, last part of his term, yep. Uh, he they attempted to uh, Barack Obama attempted to appoint him to the Supreme Court, and the uh, uh, the Amen chorus came out and said, basically, you have to give him the seat; it's his. You have to give it to him. And uh, the the Senate said, uh, we don't have to do anything. Um, it's traditional that uh, president does not appoint a Supreme Court justice at the end of his term when he's right. a lame duck, right? Um, and uh, Merrick Garland, you're now seeing when you see the things that Merrick Garland is doing, not just here, but in things like uh, federal prosecutions of people who are prosecuting people who are rioting. Yes. And that kind of thing, and harassment of uh, law enforcement officials. You're seeing, getting a taste of what kind of a Supreme Court justice he would have made. Well, now we're going to get a good taste of what kind of an attorney general he is. Here's the memo, and the memo's subject is the partnership among federal, state, local, tribal, and territorial law enforcement to address threats against school administrators, board members, teachers, and staff. You notice who got left out? Students! Students. Well, that actually might be a good thing, because we know what the NSBA was gunning for, and that is, let's use the threat of, we'll, we'll take your children away from you to keep you silent when we're pushing our leftist agenda. They didn't quite go there just yet. But here's the memo. In recent months, there's been a disturbing spike in harassment, intimidation, and threats of violence against school administrators, board members, teachers, and staff who participate in the vital work of running our nation's public schools. Really, show me the evidence. Show me the evidence that that spike's any bigger than any other spike when a controversial issue comes up in the public schools. Right. While spirited debate about policy matters is protected under our Constitution, glad you remember that. This, that protection does not extend to threats of violence or efforts to intimidate individuals based on their views. 
I hope he holds that true My for gosh. both sides of the equation. I was going to say that's a two-way street. It's sending a two-way the street. F- sending the FBI and federal agents to question people and local law enforcement to question people because they questioned people in a public school board meeting. In a public forum. In a public forum right. is intimidation. Is intimidation. That's right. No, Chuck, it's investigation. Uh, what were the? Th- I'd have to go back to the other letter, but it was those three little things. Right. Investigation, and, inter- and then basically taking away all your rights. Here we go. Threats against public servants are not only illegal, they run counter to our nation's core values. Remember that whole thing that the NSBA was talking about, about a threat to the foundation foundations of our democracy? Right. Well, that's what Garland... He's basically just reiterating the NSBA letter and just changing some of the wording and that's, so that it looks like it's coming from him and he's just not a toady doing what a pressure yeah. lobby group that probably gave Joe Biden a whole lot of money is wanting. It's an amen chorus. We haven't. I haven't had time yet to look up Joe Biden's campaign finance, but I'm betting you some of the leaders of the National School Boards Association wrote some pretty big Exactly, checks. exactly. Okay, here we go. Threat, okay, da-da-da. Those who dedicate their time and energy to ensuring that our children receive a proper education in a safe environment deserve to be able to do their work without fear for their safety. Sure, you're absolutely right. And so should the parents. The department takes these incidences seriously and is committed to using its authority and resources to discourage these threats, identify them when they occur, and prosecute them when appropriate. In the coming days, the department will announce a series of measures designed to address the rise in criminal conduct directed toward school personnel, which is something they've been working on since Joe Biden's inauguration. Trust me, because the NSBA let it slip. They'd already been working with the White House, Department of Education, and others for months on this. Okay? This is not something brand new that's coming up because a few school board meetings get a little heated over masking and critical race theory. This is something they've been after for a long time. Long, long, long time. The letter continues. This is from Merrick Garland. Coordination and partnership with local law enforcement is critical to implementing these measures for the benefit of our nation's nearly 14,000 public school districts. To this end, I am directing the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, working with each United States attorney to convene meetings with federal, state, local, tribal, and territorial leaders in each federal judicial district within 30 days of the issuance of this memorandum. These meetings will facilitate the discussions of strategies for addressing threats against school administrators, board members, teachers, and staff, still silent to students, and will open dedicated lines of communication for threat reporting, assessment, and response. How much you want to bet that that reporting is going to be anonymous and it's going to become a hit list for anybody that the leftist school board members think might be trouble? There's a reason why the Constitution guarantees you that you can face your accuser Accuser. in court. That's right. Oh, but then he wraps up his memo by saying, and I quote, the department is steadfast in its commitment to protect all people in the United States from violence, threats of violence, and other forms of intimidation and harassment. And then the stuff written in visible ink is, unless, of course, we're the ones who are threatening, threatening intimidating, and, intimidating and harassing. And harassing. That's, that's right. The only people around here, listen, you guys, the only people around here who can uh, uh, intimidate and harass are us. That's right. Uh, we hold the monopoly on that. Folks, I'm telling you right now, you know, you are being targeted, all right? If you are a Judeo-Christian believer, if you are a concerned parent, if you don't like the fact that they're being taught gender fluidity in the schools, if you don't like the fact that they're being taught that love is just whoever you're with at the moment, if you don't like the fact that they're being taught that because they happen to have a certain amount of melanin in their skin or lack of melanin, then somehow they're 
lesser than other people or their oppressors or their victims, you will be yeah. investigated, harassed, threatened by your own government at the behest of a money lobby who can't stand the heat when they try to do things that will harm your children in the schools. This is, we're coming to a boiling point, Chuck, in this Rapidly. Country. Rapidly coming to a boiling point where there's going to have to be some systemic changes made, and it's going to be one way or the other. It's either going to be a systemic change in how government is run and how much government there is, or it's going to be a systemic change in how the family is run and how much you have freedom. Which one do you want to go with? For those of you who think you're exempt because your child is in a um, a private private, private or a church school, that these tentacles are going to extend to that. In fact, uh, the people who are running private and church schools are going to find themselves under f m even more close scrutiny than public schools. Yep, and it's going. Uh, basically, what is going to happen is these agencies are going to come in and say, you know, we have to have someone in residence to watch what you are doing while you're, you know, while you're running your everyday curriculum here in the school. More and more and more and more. You, you know, we went through a golden age in the '80s. There were a lot of states that forbade um, homeschooling. Mm-hmm. Uh, precisely because the state no longer had control of those children. Now, it was no big deal. Eventually, states allowed it to happen because it was such a small number of people. Okay. And then in the 80s and the 90s, it exploded. Yes, it did. And these guys re were realizing that, that people like the uh, uh, school board, National School Board Association, were realizing we're losing control. Mm-hmm. Now... They're working out ways to regain that, that control that control. and shut out everybody. In fact, what they will probably think about doing is forcing all those people, all these local uh, privates and right. and seculars, to report to a local school district in whatever district I they're sitting in. I wouldn't doubt it a bit. I wouldn't doubt it a bit. Now, Chuck, I want to put the icing on the cake here. Because if people have heard me read these two letters and don't think and think that maybe I'm a conspiracy theorist, let me give you an example that just happened, okay? Just happened, because this, at right before we went to air, this came out in the news. FBI raids New York City Police Sergeant Union's headquarters, okay? So basically, federal agents were at the, the uh, headquarters of the Sergeant's Benevolent Association in New York, where they were, quote, carrying out a law enforcement action in connection with an ongoing investigation, unquote. What were they doing? Well, it seems that the, um, the, S, the, the Sergeant's Benevolent Association president, Ed Mullins, uh, was under investigation for alleged misconduct stemming from comments made on Twitter. Okay. What comments? Mullen posted the arrest record for New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio's 25-year-old daughter on the platform following her arrest in June 2020 during violent demonstrations and reactions to the death of George Floyd. That's a public record. It's a public record. Mullen was also under scrutiny for using profanity to describe New York City Health Commissioner Dr. Osiris Barbo after a report surfaced that she didn't care about police officers' lack of masks and PPE at the onset of the pandemic. 
So he's being investigated for being critical about somebody talking about masks. Okay, keep that in mind, folks. Next thought. He also used offensive language, and they don't say what offense, but, you know, it's New York City, so God knows what it might be, to describe City Councilman Richie Torres after he and mayoral candidate and Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams called for an investigation into a potential police slowdown last summer during a surge of shootings. You know, at the same time they were talking about defunding the police and right. all police officers were, you know, criminals. Um, but basically, so de Blasio said, okay, and it says here, quote, that th this is what Mullen had to say. Since first taking office in 2014, de Blasio's incendiary anti-police rhetoric has already resulted in three police officers being executed while sitting in police vehicles, Molotov cocktails being lobbed at officers and into police vehicles, armed assaults on police facilities, cops being pelted with debris and wholesale damage to police and public property. Unquote. And for all that, Chuck, he has an FBI investigation going on, and now they've raided and his home and the, the offices, all because... He put some public things out about a disagreement he was having with some of the city's higher-ups. If you don't think that the same thing will happen to you and your business and your family, if this NSBA thing gets, gets its steam and gets its way, just go to your school board meeting and start saying anything opposing whatever they're doing at the time. That's right. You very likely will get a visit from the FBI. If not FBI, then some uh, local law enforcement at the behest of the FBI. Mm -hmm. And you will be asked a series of questions, which, uh, honestly, um, th there's a saying, and I don't always necessarily agree with these, but I'm, don't talk to the police. I don't necessarily agree with those. The point is, though, is if someone's coming in an official capacity and starts to ask you questions, you need to stop them and say, are you in your official capacity? Yes. All right, well then, because you're in your official capacity, I need to have the advice of my counsel before I answer any questions. So therefore, I'm not going to be able to answer any of your questions until I've talked to my legal counsel. Bingo. You, you Don't talk to anybody. If the, That's the, only, uh, the thing I've always said. If I, if I was being uh, politically harassed, the first thing I'd say is, they begin to ask questions. I said, do you see my attorney here? Exactly. Do you think you need an attorney? Yes, I think I do. Anytime you're asking me questions, I need an attorney. But again, now we're going to now we're talking about whose definition is going to be the one that controls for the idea of what free speech actually means. Bingo. Of what your right as a parent actually means, uh, your right as a citizen to petition your government for redress of grievances, which is a first amendment right. And trust me, if they think that they're governing your children, then that's a government you can petition for redress right. of your grievances without being interfered with or investigated by the feds or by local law enforcement or by whatever trumped-up little border commission that the National School Boards Association and your local school board members who can't handle the heat want to push at you. Who does the Bible say is to be in charge of a child's education? Well, I believe that it, it was written directly at a parent and said that the, you, you know parents train your children up in the way they should go. Yeah, it didn't say the king. Didn't say the state. It didn't say the state. Nope. And it didn't even say the rabbis. No. It said the parents. That's right. Now, the parents rely on all of the rabbis and the state for for protection. They rely on the state for protection and the king for protection not for intimidation. Right, exactly. The fact that someone 
wants to teach their some their children something that may or may not be out of the norm. So what? As long as look, people who are teaching their children that murder is okay, there's something wrong there. That's right. They have really abrogated the responsibility to be able to raise that child. If you're teaching children to torture animals and, you know, do strange things by torturing animals, I don't mean hunting them and, and, um, cleaning the carcass for consumption. That's not what I mean at all. I mean, setting them on fire. I mean, uh, uh, cutting their tails off. I mean, all kinds of things that, uh, parents should be teaching their children not to do. Right. But they're trying to make it look like anyone who would, why would you not want your children to, to attend a public school and be taught the things that we teach at a public school? Because a lot of the stuff is corrosive That's to right. their moral foundations. Exactly. It is not anything like what God says we should be learning. Well, here's the deal. If if they want it that way, where they get to control who gets to say what about what they're doing, then they need to give up something in return. I think what they need to give up is allowing, is, and I say allowing, let me stop myself, is recognizing the right that a parent has to put their child in any school they so choose, not stuck in a district where they, the school board is going crazy, uh, but they could take that child, they could live where they want to live, and if they want to take that child 20 miles away to the next district over because that school board has got it figured out, they should be willing, able to do that without any negative consequences whatsoever. If they want to send them to the private school, they want to send them to a parochial school or a Christian school, if they want to homeschool them. That is the parents' basic right in directing the upbringing and education of their children, it should never be abrogated by a public school thinking, well, that child means X number of dollars and that's our money, so you can't take our money away from us by actually taking the child out of an environment where he's being fed garbage. He's being fed moral relativism. He's being fed homosexual propaganda. He's being fed hating his own history and his own culture. Listen, These are things that are... Child abuse. You could see these things coming, like in 2020, for instance, in 2020, when schools were closed and teachers were teaching over Zoom and parents were sitting in on classes and suddenly parents are like, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, because the parents got to see what was in the materials that their kids were learning. That's right. And they were seeing uh, materials that were coming out of the 1619 Project and, and Critical Race Theory. And that's where this all came from. Right. It all started when parents started seeing what was being taught. Parents squawked because of what their children were being taught. And, pa- and teachers were literally saying, we want the parents banned from the room when, when we're teaching. And the school board said, we can't do that. Yeah, some of them did. Some of them were like, yeah, we, we agree with you. We want, we want a ban, too, because many school boards are subject to the superintendent in right. that district, and the superintendent is under the thumb of the teachers' unions. Well, it goes beyond that. The superintendent is also, in, in many ways, a, a tainted individual. Yeah, sometimes, uh, regarding, sometimes that's the case. I mean, he, they're, they're, it's not exactly a bastion of conservative thought. No, it's not. So, uh, But, folks, 
read these documents. That's right. Think through this. Realize that when they're saying X, they really mean Y. So when they're talking about threats of yeah. violence, what they're talking about is you just basically raising a question or saying, I don't think you've made the right decision here, school board. Oh, that's a threat of violence. You're intimidating them. You're harassing right. them because you don't like the job they're doing. Right. But that's your right as a parent in your First Amendment right of free speech. Never let go of it. That's right. Now, you know what we think, and we want to know what you think. www.principledpolicy.com. That's principledpolicy.com. And we would ask that you would join us again next week for another Principles and Policies.